Everyone's talking about the economy right now. And with good reason. The market is down. Inflation is up. Consumer confidence, consumer spending are waning. And we may very likely be easing our way, maybe hurrying our way into a recession. We might already be in a recession. I always find it interesting when media outlets will interview firms or advisors, you know, what should people do? And it's always the same response. You record this and you just keep using the same thing over and over again. Stay the course. Look at the, look at the big picture. None of them ever say, you know, take all the money out of the bank and put it under your mattress and, you know, run around screaming with your hair on fire. Nobody with a bank, nobody from a bank is going to suggest that anyway. And, you know, when it comes to behavior and decision making, I mean, most people know what to do in a, on a basic level. Like most people know you need to buy low and sell high, right? So if I walked around New York City here and I asked 100 people, is it buy high or is it buy low? Is it sell high or is it sell low? Most people will get it right. But yet we don't do it. And that's an element of some of the other things that come into play. Everything from FOMO to fear to herd instinct, emotions get into, you know, come into play. We panic and we don't do what we actually know what we should be doing. It's kind of like that, everybody's got that one friend who gives the best advice on relationships or on friendships or just whatever, yet they're not exactly hitting the ball out of the park themselves, but they still give the best advice, you know, and one of the reasons for that, likely, I don't know your friend, but one of the reasons likely for that is because they theoretically know what to do in these situations, but for themselves, emotion comes into play. All those other things that I just described actually supersede what they know to be right. So today, we are talking about an economy. This isn't the Psychology of Financial Planning podcast that I co-host with Dr. Brad Klontz. Shameless plug. Uh, We're talking about the attention economy. And so... What exactly is an economy, you may be asking? Uh, So an economy is basically this interrelationship between production, what's made or available, and consumption, what's bought, purchased, acquired. And most importantly, helps that whole notion of production and consumption helps determine how scarce resources are allocated. So for an attention economy... Now what we're talking about is information and attention. And we, as we've discussed many, many times on this podcast and in the book, there's more and more information, not only available to us, but more and more information coming at us, purposely trying to steal our attention. Therefore, there's a, there's a scarcity of, of our attention, and we have to figure out how to allocate that to be more productive, to be more creative, to 
have better relationships and, quite frankly, a happier life. We know the value of attention, that it is the gateway to what we experience, the gateway to what we do and what, what we know, and everything starts from that. Herbert Simon won the Nobel Prize several decades ago, and he coined the term the attention economy and said, and I quoted, in an information-rich world, the wealth of information means a dearth of something else, a scarcity of whatever that information consumes. What information consumes is obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. So therefore, I add parenthetically, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention and a need to allocate that attention efficiently among the overabundance of information that might consume it. So, thinking about that, information consumes attention. So, the more information that you expose yourself to, the bigger, the more spending, I should say, the more spending of your attention you are likely to perform. You're likely to allocate your attention on that information that you've made yourself available, right? And, you know, as we've talked about lots and lots of times, we're creating more and more information right now. And that means we have to make better decisions. We have to create environment. And we've talked about this several months ago on this podcast. We have to create an environment where we can allocate our attention towards the things that are in alignment with our goals, the notion of an attention economy is utterly fascinating, and it's it's so I find it amazing anyway that folks like Herbert Simon um, or Michael Goldhaber from decades ago, you know, saw this coming. And you know, when you have you know before social media, and when you have an economy, you have the rich and the poor right? Those who have resources and those who don't. So you think about the economy of, the attention economy, what's happening within social media, there is a iCoin panhandling of attention, right? People are posting selfies, they're altering experiences to get more likes. And that currency is attention. And the rich and the poor are, relative to social media, are people who have, you know, lots and lots of followers. Lots and lots of people are seeing them. The attention poor could be, you could, you know, look at that from a number of different perspectives. Individuals who are, you know, who are isolated in some way, shape, or form, uh, or something like that. Michael Goldhaber wrote a, um, actually he gave a talk uh, a quarter century ago, and he talked about the notion that when we think about the attention rich and the attention poor, particularly the attention rich, that it's the attention first. The attention is the commodity. The money will follow. So somebody who has a, a great deal of followers on social media, or in some way, shape, or form are attention-rich, 
they're the ones that are going to get the the speaking deals, the movie deals, or endorsements. It's not necessarily the other way around, by the way. So you could be financially wealthy, have lots of money, and be attention poor, right? Think about probably a terrible expression, but old money. Folks that just have lots of money and they don't really, they're not really, you know, not only they're not active on social media, but they're not really doing a whole lot of things, right? So they have a lot of wealth, they have money, but they don't have a lot of attention, right? But if you've got a lot of attention, the money will follow. And, you know, he talked about that being the currency, and you just think about this idea, and I, and I wrote, I dedicated a chapter to this idea of kind of impulse buying, and I was trying to make the connection between, you know, an impulse buy, which could be anything from a, you know, a candy bar in line at a, at a grocery store or, a, I don't know, a large purchase that, you know, a knee-jerk purchase of a sports car for whatever reason, right, that that's an impulse buy on your money. And we certainly have impulse buys when it comes to our attention. And it's becoming harder and harder and harder for us to preserve the resources of our, the resource of our attention. I mean, there are whole companies that are thinking about how they can get your attention. They have whole teams of people focused on it. Right. And in a lot of cases, it's, you know, giving you, you know, some of these insurance sites are the best, right? We'll get you the best deal on insurance or movers or, or I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you've, if you've moved and you go onto one of those sites that um, you could get the best quote and you put in your information, you get, and I'm not even exaggerating, at least from my experience, you get a dozen phone calls and emails immediately, immediately. From, from, uh, from a bunch of different people that want your business. But even from other things, something that's free, they're getting your data, which gets into whole data mining and whatnot. But if I can get your attention somehow, then I can make my ask. So what do we do about it? How do we address, how do we survive in this attention economy when our resources are of our attention are the same, but we have more pushes and pulls on our attention. So I'm going to talk about five things we can do to survive in the attention economy on the other side. Back in a minute. The Numb Podcast is supported by We Learn. We all love learning. We Learn is on a mission to help organizations build better humans through learning. It provides a full range of services to assist its partners in building world-class learning and a world-class workforce. WeLearn is also the recipient of three coveted bronze Brandon Hall Group Awards. Check out their blog for content on learning, development, training, and more at welearnls.com slash blog. That's welearnls.com slash blog. This is a Numb Podcast. I'm Dr. Charles Chapin. So five ways we can thrive in this attention economy. 
Number one is pretty obvious, and I've kind of already alluded to it. So we can treat our attention the same way we treat our money. That, you know, hopefully with our spending, we're thinking about it on some level, that there's a value that we hold in place on the money that we've earned, or just even if we haven't earned it, somebody gave it to us, the money that we have. And the same holds true then with our attention. It's a scarce resource. And we need to think about, okay, what is the, if we think about this notion of what Herbert Simon talked about, which I talked about in the beginning of this, that information consumes attention, then we have to think about, okay, what is the value of the information that currently is taking up my attention? Is it really that valuable to me? And everybody has to make that decision themselves, what's working for them. I mean, is it the most, is it the best use of your attention to be constantly scrolling on Instagram and Facebook. I would offer that it's a reasonable question. How about tiptoeing around that answer? (laughs) But you have to decide. Each of us has to decide that. And if you can constantly just be thinking about, okay, this information's coming at me. Is Is it worth this price that is my attention? Number two. Make a distraction checklist. This is my favorite one. I mean, I like all the ones that I wrote down, but I really like this one. So wherever you're, if you're listening to this, particularly in the space that you work, whether you work from home or an office, whatever, look around you and see, or if you're not doing that, visualize where you work and look at all the things that might be distracting you and write them down. You likely have a smartphone. And within that comes, you know, that might be, you know, distraction one. And then you got one A is push notifications. One B is, you know, social media. And I'm going to get to that in one of the other ones. But there's all kinds of different things that come with the smartphone. So that's, that's, that's one. Your laptop or PC or Mac or whatever you're using, what's going on with the email push notifications there? Is Outlook open all day? How much is that distracting you? You know, are you are you doing work where you're, you know, I don't know, writing reports and every time somebody emails you, do you get the notification and it distracts you? You know, you're deep into a report and you get a push notification that you know, Bertha's birthday party is gonna be at three o'clock and they're gonna have chocolate cake. And now you're you're distracted. And as we've talked about, that, that could cost you 20 minutes to get back to where you were. I'm not going to talk about I'd like to talk about, you know, birthday parties within the office, but I'm not going to go there. Anyway, what else? Do you have a TV? Some people work with televisions on in their office. And I could see that if you're in some professions. But that could be a distraction. So make a distraction checklist. Find out what's sucking up your valuable attention. And then decide, based upon that, which ones you can eliminate. The third thing, number three. I kind of alluded to this already, but what information do you not really need? Do you need social media on your phone? Do you really? Push notifications are part of that. What about texts? What about... Time with your phone in general. 
is it can you have periods where you're not your phone's not with you and we've talked about that on numerous occasions the new york times piece is always interesting to me because i so i subscribe and i just subscribe to the washington post and i read them online every day and it occurred to me not long ago, I'm getting emails about what it is I'm going to read already. So why am I, I got to shut off the emails. I don't need an email from them. I shouldn't be getting any emails from them. If I'm going to be going onto the site, when I'm ready to <clears throat> read the news, then I can do that. So that's just one example of how we're managing all of that. How are you doing with email, by the way? You know, constantly getting email notifications from whatever group selling stuff. Are you managing that? Are you blocking where you need to block? So what is it that you don't need when it comes to information? Number four, make an attention to-do list. So lots of people make to-do lists of their work, what they need to get done in a day. What about, the, what about attention? You know, you could easily, especially if this is something you're really battling, like you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, man, I am losing in this attention economy. Stuff is coming after me, coming at me, and I am distracted. <clears throat> then maybe what you do and if you you know if you make a to-do list and underneath that put where where should my attention be paid today where should my attention and it might be you know you might have made you you might have had a a not so good discussion with your spouse or partner first thing in the morning and then you make your to-do list and at the bottom on your attention to-do list you put i need to focus on my partner tonight i that needs to be my top priority, or on my kids, or my dog, or my cat, or whatever it might be. Number five, track your spending. So going back to this you know, analogy of our money and our attention, make a journal of where you're spending your attention on a given day. You'll be shocked. You will absolutely be shocked. And there's, you know, there are lots of studies out there that you know, ask people how many times they've been distracted by something. And they'll always say the number is way lower than what it is. You know, they're videoing the subject, doing something, whatever they're doing. And they'll have something that's distracting them, you know, in the background. And at the end, you know, they'll ask the subject, well, how many times were you distracted in that five minute period? And, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, just three times. You know, well, actually they looked up from their work, you know, 78 times. So we, we tend to underestimate that. But if we can start thinking about journaling where we our attention's focused, we can start to kind of change that if we feel like we need to change it. And I think is that, you know, I always do all this stuff without judgment, although I'm probably sounding a little judgy today, a little more than usual. But we're wasting tons of our attention right now. We just are. And it's an ongoing battle because there are places and things that are purposely designed to steal it. So we have to have a plan, a checklist to allocate this scarce resource of our attention towards what matters to us most. I don't know how many different splices are going to be on this episode. I've been coughing like crazy. I don't have COVID, um, but it's a challenge for Tim, I'm sure. So hopefully you're not hearing a ton of, uh, a ton of splices and, and once in a while I've cleared my <clears throat> throat. Uh, nevertheless, 
I should mention that you could get the Numb Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and if you get if you get it through Apple Podcast, I hope you will leave me a review. I love reviews, especially good ones. Uh I got an email from, I got a ton of emails. My favorite one today is from John in, quote, somewhere USA, and unquote. And John writes, I work at a place full of pseudo-profound bullshit. If you recall, we did an episode on pseudo-profound bullshit um, a little while back. It might not even be pseudo-profound, maybe just bullshit, he says. Reading your book and listening to this podcast has actually frustrated me further because I now realize that all of that bullshit is tying up my attention when I could be doing something else. (laughs) He goes on to say, please don't read my name or location. I still need this job, exclamation point. Thanks for all you do. Well, thanks for that email, John. Uh, I feel you. I really do. You know, and if you're, you know, and actually it ties really well into this episode, um, Maybe that's why I picked this one to read. Who knows? But if we start thinking, like, it's no different than, you know, if you're paying for something and it's not going, you're thinking, I'm paying for this, right? I'm paying for this and this is not going well. It's the same thing when it comes to stuff like this, right? You know, you have to sit, say, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm paying for this with my attention. Is it really worth it? What's the ROI, right? So thank you for that Uh <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for that, John. Uh, I wish you well in your uh, career endeavor, um, wherever that is, in anywhere USA. I have a uh, a short quote for this week. <laughs> I've, you know, I got a couple of emails saying that I I do a lot of rap songs and pop songs, um, and I had a couple of people say that I do a lot of gay songs. I I don't really know what that means. That's so I you know whatever. So, but said, I don't do a lot of country songs. So (laughs) I picked, and I don't know this song, but I found it and I thought it was funny. And the quote from the song is, you're the reason our kids are ugly, little darling. (laughs) And that's Loretta Lynn and Conway Twitty with the song, you're the reason our kids are ugly. I should mention that the, the the audio engineer for the Num podcast is Tim Dolbear, and the music is written and performed by the great Jim Torito. And you can email me at the Num podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And I hope you will keep them coming. Uh, I will read your name and location only if you tell me not to. I really appreciate all the downloads. We are uh, we're getting close to ten thousand downloads uh, for the Num Podcast, which I'm really really proud of. So really grateful for the for the listeners. We're doing about right now. We're doing about two um, episodes a month, roughly. Uh, I know I'm getting emails saying it's inconsistent, and it is kind of inconsistent with summer and travel and 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 whatnot that's going on right now. I'm finishing another book and and giving talks and stuff. So, but roughly we're about about two. Um, about around two a month. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And until then, if you're not where you are, you're nowhere. See you later.